you stand with us and let's sing together. First Corinthians 13, starting in verse 8, it says, Love never fails, but where there is prophecies, they will, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. 
Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And then later on it says this, but these things will still remain. Hope, faith, love. But the greatest of these, what is it? Yeah. 
I will sing and make music with all my soul. Awake, harp and lyre, I will, I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord. Among the nations, I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Psalm 108, 1-5. And the people of God said together, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to see you today. I'm sharing a series of sermons from the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. And uh, I, want to, I have a low-tech visual aid that I'm sharing throughout these series to just sort of help us remember the, the theme of this book and get it into our minds. And that visual aid is a Nike athletic shoe. I want to take a minute and tell you how uh, the Nike name came to be branded on the shoe. Phil Knight uh, formed a company called Blue Ribbon Sports back in the 1960s, and they imported uh, running shoes from Japan. Phil Knight wanted to make his own shoes here in the United States, so he got a college student to suggest some logos and this graphic design student at, at Portland State submitted a variety of logos, and one of them is the Nike swoosh that's still used today. And Knight looked at it, and he said, well, I don't like it, but let's give it a try. And so they used the, the swoosh, but they still didn't have a name. It came to a day in June of 1971. They, had to, they were ship making the boxes for the shoes the next day, and Phil Knight said, we've got to have a name for this shoe by 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. What are we going to call it? We're printing the boxes. Uh, Phil Knight uh, was a fan of the band The Fifth Dimension, so he wanted to call it Dimension Six. How'd you like to lace up your Dimension Sixes? That's the, night, the name that the founder of the company wanted, but others didn't. Somebody wanted Bingle because Puma shoes were uh, uh, pretty popular then. Call it the Bingle. Put on your bingles, you know. And so they, it was coming down to the deadline. They didn't have a, a name. And Jeff Johnson, an employee of the country, had flown to New York. And on the flight, he had read one of those airline magazines, you know, that's in the back of the uh, uh, seat back. And it said if you're going to brand a product, use a two-syllable brand with an exotic letter like an X, a Z, or a K. And so from reading that article, he calls back. At 7 a.m., they had to have the name by 9 a.m., 7 a.m., he calls from New York to Portland and says, I got it, let's call them Nike. And Phil Knight said, what's a Nike? And he said, it's the Greek word that means victory. He said, the, the, uh, the, in Greek mythology, the goddess of victory is called Nike. And Knight said, I don't know about that. But they went with it, they had to print the boxes, so 9 a.m., he said, put Nike on the boxes. They, they made t-shirts, and it was, the, the end was written in cursive, and so the first people all thought it was Mike. You got those Mike shoes on? You know, what about those Mike shoes? So from an inauspicious beginning, it became a worldwide brand with a famous swoosh and the name Nike, which means victory. Well, I'm telling you all this because Nike is the key word in the book of Revelation. The word Nike is the Greek word for victory. And the book of Revelation is about victory, that Jesus has overcome the world through his death and resurrection, overcome evil, and you can too if you're connected with him. So this is an encouraging book, an encouraging message we want to share. And so out throughout this series, uh, what I'm going to do, our memory device is, whenever we come to the word Nike, it's translated different English words, overcome, triumph, or victorious. Whenever we come to the word Nike in a verse, I'm going to hold up this shoe and you say in a loud voice, Nike, and then I'll keep reading the verse, okay? You got it? So now our, our key verse for the overall series, let's try this once. It's in our key verse. It's not going to be on the screen. Just listen. They will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will 
over them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings and with him will be his called chosen and faithful followers. That's the key verse, I think, that sums up the book of Revelation. And so we're looking at the seven themes that fit within that victory. Last week we began with chapters 1 through 3. The foundational theme, foundational vision of Revelation is Jesus is alive and walking among his churches. Jesus died, he rose again, he's victorious over death, he's alive, and he's active in his world, and he's in the local churches, he's walking among his churches. If you want to be involved with Jesus, be in his church. Now today, we come to the chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation, and we're going to see the second of these seven themes in Revelation 4 and 5. And what we have in these chapters is John is given a glimpse into what's going on in heaven. If you ever wondered what's happening in heaven right now, we don't normally get to see into heaven. But in this vision, God leaves the door open to heaven and lets John look in and write about it. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. So the door's open to heaven. John gets to look in. The voice I'd first heard speak to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. So it's a vision of the future as well. What's going on in heaven now and what will happen. And what he sees there in verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. So John gets a vision of God seated on his throne in heaven. What's happening in heaven? God's on his throne. Now, John describes the sight. It's almost like it's beyond description, and he decides, describes his vision in terms of light and color. Listen to verse Three, the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby and a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. And it says in verse 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. You, you get this, this picture that's just almost too dazzling to describe of light and color and thunder and lightning. That's the appearance of God. And then he says in verse uh, five And in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. So seven's the perfect number in Revelation. This is the perfect spirit of God. This is the Holy Spirit, the sevenfold spirit of God uh, connected to the Father. And it says uh, in verse 6, also in front of the throne, there was looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And then there are some, some figures around the throne. First, in the inner circle... It says, in verse 6, also in front of the throne, in the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Now, what in the world are we to make about out of that? Well, this is symbolic language, remember. I'm not, I think these are angelic beings. And when we see them, I don't know that we're going to see eyeballs all over them. Maybe so, but that's symbolic language to t communicate something about their vision and their insight. And what I think we have here is a type of angel. I think that God has made all kinds of angels. We know there are seraphs from scripture and cherubs and I think that God from what we know of creation here on earth he delights in diversity did you know there are 10,000 kinds of birds on planet earth God didn't make one or two or 50 or 100 he said hey let's make 10,000 there are a hundred thousand different species of butterflies on our, our planet so the God who made them he delights in diversity. So I think the same thing is true of our angelic creation. We just don't know much about it. But I think there are all different kinds of angels that God has created. And, and here we're seeing some of those things that are strange to us, but are angelic creatures. And these four living creatures, as they're called, they're sort of heaven's worship leaders. They're always leading in worship. It says in verse uh, 8, Day and night they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. 
Then, in another concentric circle outside the four living creatures, the next round are 24 elders. Verse 4, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. Now, who is this? Are these humans? Uh, they could be because dressed in white, that's the common description of saints in Revelation, and also the number 24. You've got the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament, the 12 apostles in the New Testament could represent all of humanity, the leaders of the 12 tribes, the leaders of the 12, I mean all of the church, uh, uh, 12 tribes and the, and the, and the uh, 12 apostles. But they could be other angel beings, maybe the guardian angels, because it seems like we don't get to people yet in this, to humans, so they could be the guardian angels for those. We, we just don't know, but here they are, these 24 elders. And it says in verse 9 that whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and they lay their crowns before the throne. Or one translation, they cast their crowns before the throne. This is where the, the group Casting Crowns got their name. These 24 elders have crowns, but they take them off, and they fall down before God, and they lay or cast their crowns before him in worship to him. And they sing, say in verse 11, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. What's going on in heaven? God is worshipped as the creator of all things. Now, the, the theme of Revelation 4 is that God is on his throne. God is in control of our world. Now, you see, that was an important message because John was writing to these seven churches that were enduring persecution, it didn't seem like God was in control. It seemed like the Roman Empire was in control. They're the ones who had banished John away from his friends and his church out there on an island. It seemed like Rome was in control. It didn't seem like God was in control. And God is giving John a glimpse into heaven so he can see another part of reality that will encourage him. There may be times in your life that it doesn't seem like God's in control of your world. Things hit you out of the blue. Things are going wrong in your career. Life has, doesn't turn out like you expected. Or you look at our world stage, and there's the threat of nuclear war and all these things, and you think, doesn't seem like God's in control. And God gives us this vision to encourage us to see another part of reality. It's sort of like going to the aquarium. Have you ever been to the Chattanooga Aquarium or the Georgia Aquarium in, in Atlanta? And they'll have displays with a, a glass wall and a water line. And below that water line, you can get down like this and you can look at a world of fish all swimming around in there. But then you can look above the water line and you can see things that you couldn't see down here. You look up here and, well, there's turtles on a log, maybe an alligator and snakes in a tree. So there's, there's two parts of reality. Uh, when you're below the water line, you don't know about that reality up there. But when you lift up and see above, you see another part of reality. That's what this is. We live below the water line. We don't see all these four living creatures and all this God on his throne with a rainbow and he's in control. We just live down here with the fish, and this is our whole world. But God has led us for a moment in these chapters look above the waterline and see another part of reality that's just as real, that God's on his throne, and he's in control. And so you can go back down underwater and live with the fishes, okay, because you know that part of the reality that's there. You see the purpose of it? God's in control of our world, regardless of what it seems like sometimes in your world. Now there's a second part to this vision. It continues in chapter 5. And it says in verse 5, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, chapter 5 verse 1, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. 
I've rolled up a piece of paper with writing on both sides just to give you some idea of what a scroll rolled up. And then I just dripped some candle wax and seven spots on the edge that holds it together. That's sort of what uh, something like that uh, he had a vision of here, a scroll with writing, but you can't read it all because it's rolled up and it's sealed. And to, to know what's in there, you've got to break those seals and unroll it what does this represent? This scroll in the right hand of God that was sealed up, I think, represents the plan of God. It represents the future. And, and to know the future, you've got to break the seals and unroll it. This is human destiny. It's world history. It's in the right hand of God, God's plan for our world. But the dilemma comes in verse 2 when it says, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who's worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? That is, who can know the future and who can guide the future to its proper conclusion? And the answer came back in verse 3, but no one in heaven, no angel, was able, was worthy to, op to know the future and to guide it. And on earth, I don't know the future, do you? Can you open the scroll? Can you guide history to its conclusion? Or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And it, John says, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. John's tears represent our tears of hopelessness. You ever felt hopeless? Ever felt like you didn't have a future? Ever felt, here's the, here's the questions of life. What's the meaning of my life? Where am I going? What's going to happen to me? They're summed up in John's tears here. This feeling of hopelessness. But then there's good news. Verse 3, verse uh, 5. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Here's where we do the shoe thing. You ready? See, the lion of the tribe of Judah has that's pretty good. Let's try it one more time. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah has That's good. Triumphed. And he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So he looked and he saw the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's a reference back to the very first book in the Bible. There's a prophecy in Genesis 49, 9 and 10, when Jacob was blessing his 12 sons who would become heads of the 12 tribes of Israel, making a prophecy about each one. And he got to Judah and said, Judah, you are a lion cub. You know, these new iPhones, you can do these emojis. I don't have one, but I've seen it on television. You can be the purple unicorn if you've seen that, whatever. Jesus is the lion. He said, Judah, you're going to be the, the lion's cub. And he said to, to Judah, Genesis 49, the scepter will not depart from you until the one comes to whom it belongs and he will rule the nations. It was a prophecy of Jesus who is a descendant from the tribe of Judah. And so now in the last book in the Bible, it's all coming together, the story of the Bible. And he is called the lion of the tribe of Judah and he's called the root of David. Now throughout the Bible, Jesus is called a descendant of David fulfilling the promises to David. Isaiah says there will come a shoot or a sprout from the stump of David. His line had been cut off, but it will sprout, it will shoot up, and there will be someone who descends from him. Well, Jesus is now called the root of David. He's both the descendant of David and the predecessor of David, both coming from David and the one who created David. He's the root and the shoot of David. And here he comes, and he has triumphed. And so by his triumph, He's able to open the scrolls and its seven seals. He knows the future. He can guide the future. Why? Verse 6, then I saw a lamb. So the angel had said the lion's here. He turns and looks. He doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb. Jesus is both. He's the lion and the lamb. He is powerful like a lion. But now we see how he triumphed. A lamb was the sacrificial animal, the sin offering. Passover lamb throughout the Old Testament atoning and Jesus triumphed by his death. I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain 
standing at the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. So Jesus triumphed by dying and rising from the dead. He's writing to some of these Christians in the first century, and this book applies to those in the last days, and it applies to Christians today in parts of the world who are dying for their faith. And some of you, he's saying, will have to die. But don't you worry, Jesus died and he rose again. He triumphed and even in your death you will triumph over the Roman Empire. You'll triumph over the Antichrist or the beast. You'll triumph over Isis or whoever it may be because there is victory in Jesus and you share that Nacri victory when you're faithful to the end. The lamb who was slain has triumphed. And he's standing at the center of the thrones. He's identified with God here. And all, everybody else is falling down, but Jesus is standing at the center of the throne, and he's encircled by the four living creatures and elders, and the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes. Again, this is how we're going to see Jesus. This isn't what he looks like, but he's not going to see a lamb with all these horns. You're going to see Jesus, but this is a symbolic description to communicate things about him. He is the one who died, and he has seven uh, horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sounding to all the earth. Horns, he's all-powerful. Eyes, he's all-omniscient. He sees everything, and the spirit is identified with him just as with the Father on the throne. Verse 7, he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So Jesus is able, he's shown that he knows the future, he's going to break the seals, he can unveil the future, he's going to guide world history in our lives to its conclusion. And when he had taken it, verse 8, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. They had fallen before the throne, before God, now they also worship the Lamb. And each one had a harp. And they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Man, what a great symbol here. You want to know if your prayers are meaningful? You want to know if when I pray, does anybody hear? Let me tell you where your prayers are. These angels are holding your prayers in golden bowls before the throne. That's the picture. Your prayers are heard. Your prayers are valued. Your prayers are collected in golden bowls and presented before the one who sits on the throne. God ordains prayer to be a part of what he does. And you keep praying for what you're praying for. Your prayers are heard in heaven. And so verse 9, because Jesus can control the future, they sing a new song. There's three verses to this song. First verse, the elders and the four living creatures are singing. And here's what they sing. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Chapter 4, they sang to the Father, to God about he's creator. Now they sing to Jesus that he is redeemer. And you have made, verse 10, them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And then the second verse. Now, millions of angels join in on the second verse. I don't know how many angels there are, but from this verse there are at least tens or hundreds of millions. Verse 11, when I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000, and they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And so here's the second verse. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then we get to the third verse. And you know how worship leaders like to say, now let's all join in on the third verse. You know, here we go. So now on the third verse, let's every creature upon that God has ever made join in singing the third verse. Verse 13, then I heard Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And guess what the four living creatures and the elders did? They fell down, verse 14, and worshipped him. So the last verse, you've got everything that God made joining this song. 
The crickets are chirping praise to Jesus. The song sparrows are singing praise to Jesus. The lions are roaring praise to Jesus. The owls are singing who, 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 who is worthy. And the horses are answering, Jesus. That's who. Every creature sings praise to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You want to know what's going on in heaven? God is on his throne and Jesus controls the future. And that message is given to you to encourage you when it seems like your life is out of control. God's in control and Jesus has his hand on the rudder of what's going to happen in our world. And we don't usually see that. We live in a reality where there are not millions upon millions of angels. And we go through life and work and school and sometimes it's hard. And God wants you to know that yes, your world is real, but there is another part to reality that he gives you a glimpse of here to encourage you. It's sort of like a fish jumping out of water. Have you ever seen a fish jump out of water? It doesn't stay very long, but can't you just imagine this fish, all it's known is water, water, fish, other fish, you know, sand, and then it jumps, and it looks around for a second and says, wow, look at that, there's other stuff out here, right back in, you know? But in that moment, there's a glimpse of another part of reality that was previously unknown. That's what Revelation 4 through 5 is. It's like a fish jumping out of water to see another part of reality previously unknown to encourage you to go back to your underwater life and live with joy and with hope and with victory because the Lamb has triumphed and when you're related to Him, even in death, you can triumph too if you're faithful to Him. Would you stand together with me? We're going to sing a song of invitation and I'm going to invite you no, maybe we're not, because we don't have anybody in here yet to lead one. Uh, <clears throat> tell you what we're going to do. We're just going to give you an invitation right now. Oh, here they come. Here they come. We're going to sing. Oh, we were going to have a silent invitation for a moment, and then you all showed up. This is even better. When we sing together, if you want to know hope out of hopelessness, you can. It's in relating to the one who's described as a lion and a lamb. His name is Jesus. He died and rose again. If you believe in him, that even if you die, you'll rise again. If you believe in him, you can live in your world with hope and with victory because the lamb is overcome and you can too. I'm going to invite you to walk forward. Meet me if you say, I want to be a Christian. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I'll be baptized next Sunday or another time. We're having baptism next week. I start today to be a follower of Jesus. You want to join our church, I want to invite you to walk forward and meet me here. If you need somebody to pray with you, we welcome you this to be a time of prayer for you. Let's sing together.
Thank you. You may be seated. We're going to give now our offerings to worship God. If you're a guest with us, we don't expect you to give an offering. If you fill out a guest card, you can let that be your offering. Just put that in the offering plate. Glad you're here. Father, we thank you for this day. Again, we thank you that you are still on the throne and that you are victorious and that in you we have victory as well. Uh, Father, I continue to ask your blessings upon us uh, here and in this church as well as we go to do your work in this, in this world and in our community. Father, I also just ask that, you, um, that, or that we bring these tithes and offerings to you and that they go to the furthering of your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
It's a joy to, to share with you today. This is Colin Bright and his mom, Ashley Baldwin. And Colin has uh, accepted Jesus as his Savior and comes to be baptized. Colin, we're so proud of you. That's the best thing you'll ever do in life. And uh, we're excited for you. And his mom, Ashley, is also joining by a statement of her faith in previous baptism. And so welcome. We're so glad that you're here. If you'll uh, welcome them into our church family and pray for them, would you lift your hand and say amen? Amen indeed. I'll let you sit back down as Tim closes out our service. We're so glad to have them a part of our church family. As we close here this morning, I just want to point your attention to a couple of important announcements here in the worship guide. You'll see uh, the list for the CDP classes. Giving statements for 2017 are available at the welcome desk. If you could pick those up on your way out this morning. Of course, you've already heard about the, the Crisis Pregnancy Center. I want to hit this one. This is important, middle school and high school, for their summer trips. Their deposit is due next Sunday, and so you'll see. Uh, hey, how are you? For... I think that's BC's mic still on. Oops. Why did not go to the bathroom? I just figured it was called. <laughs> it's more fun to blame it on Todd, though, isn't it? So you'll see that deposit, that information, those dates for that, the trips and all that is in here on, um, so the $100 for middle school and $150 for high school. So that information is, is in your worship guide as well. Um, and finally, we want to take up this morning, maybe you've heard about Howard and Patricia Farrell. They had a house fire on Friday night and, and it devastated their home. It, it wiped it out. So they lost everything in this house fire. And so... Just as in wanting, in a way, to support our brothers and sisters in Christ, we just want to take up a love offering for them. And so we're going to do that tonight in our evening service tonight. And so if you are not able to be here tonight, but you would like to participate, we've got drop boxes located, three of them around the church. If you would want to give a love offering toward them just to buy the essentials. No, they've got nothing now. And so to buy their basic needs and their essentials, if you'd like to help them do that, um, you can drop an envelope with their name on it in the offering plate and, or in the... Um, in the drop boxes and that money will go to support them. All right, let's close in prayer. God, we thank you that we can face each day because we know that you're in control and that Jesus knows the future, that, that God, you've got everything under control and we don't need to stress about things, we don't need to worry about things, but God, we need to trust you in all that we're doing. God, we thank you for uh, just the opportunities we have through our church to be able to minister to other people, to be able to minister through uh, different ministries here in our community, be, to be able to help fulfill the Great Commission, your calling upon our lives. God, we thank you for Colin, for him coming forward and, and giving his life to you. We're excited about his decision in that. Lord, it's in your sons and we pray. Amen. Well, you know there's been two.